What a wonderful joy it is to be with you this morning in worship as we prepare to enter God's Word and to see what He has to teach us this morning. Uh, this morning, we are in week two of our Lenten sermon series entitled, Messy, the Challenge of Loving People Like Jesus. And we're taking a look at some of the ways that Jesus interacted with people that came across his path as a way to challenge us and invite us to love the people that God has put in our paths in deeper and more transformative ways. We've titled the sermon series Messy on Purpose. It's very intentional because it's also a reminder that not only is loving the people that God has put in our paths difficult, but that we ourselves are inherently difficult to love. My husband, Eric, and I were on our way Friday night. We went out for uh, tacos, date night. And on the way, I, you know, this message has been turning in my mind. And I said, Eric, I, I need some levity to this message. It's going to get kind of heavy. And I said, I need some stories I can tell about maybe how you find me difficult to love. <laughs> how you think I'm messy. And he said, are you kidding me? A Friday night date night? You're giving me permission to tell, me, tell you how you are messy? And he kind of did this with his hands and he said, okay, I'm gonna need some categories though. <laughs> We're a mess. I am in the mess with you. And one of the things I appreciated about that is it, it was a reminder that there are kind of categories of messiness that maybe we put people in. And last week, we took a look at what it looked like to love the messy mob. If you have not had a chance to listen to those messages from last week, I would encourage you, go back and listen to how this series has been set up by our preaching team. That was the messy mob, but this morning, the kind of a category that we are going to look at, as the sermon title suggests, is what it looks like to love people on the fringe. To love people who culturally or society or maybe relationally we consider to be on the peripheral, who are on the margin, who are not in the center where maybe the rest of us are. And so because of that, society or culture, or maybe us in our own hearts, we have deemed them kind of unacceptable or maybe unpalatable. Perhaps some of us here today have found ourselves in that situation. Perhaps because of our gender, our age, our skin color, our socioeconomic status, maybe because of a physical disability, maybe because of a particular circumstance that is happening in our life that is outside of our control. Maybe it's something really simple. Maybe you've moved into a new neighborhood or a new school, or maybe you've showed up at that party and you're kind of at the wrong place at the wrong time and you just kind of feel on the fringe. You're on the edge of what's happening in the center. I would imagine most of us carry some kind of experience like that in our life. And, and I hope as you hear this message today, you are reminded that we serve a God that put on flesh and entered this world and lived largely on the fringe. He knows what you have experienced, maybe what you're even experiencing today. I, I hope you hear hope in that message today. 
But I also want to remind us that that's not the intent of the message today because remember our sermon series about what it is like to love other people. And so our invitation this morning for the next 20-ish minutes is going to be to turn our eyes off ourselves, to turn our eyes off of our own experience and wonder together how Jesus might be challenging us to love the people on the fringe that he has put in our path. Let's listen to the text this morning as it comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a group of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a very long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I, when I try to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus says to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, instantly, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. This, dear one, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, up to this point in the book of John, Jesus has been moving through the countryside. He has been moving through small villages, and he has been teaching, and he has been healing people, and crowds of people have been coming to him. But now he is moving, making his way to the city of Jerusalem. And he goes into Jerusalem through a gate known as the Sheep Gate. Interestingly, it was called this because that is where the sheep who were to be slaughtered at the temple, it was the gate they would enter through. If you think about how appropriate that Jesus, the Lamb of God, would choose to enter that gate into the city. And the text tells us that at this gate, there was a pool. It was a pool called Bethesda. And it had become a very common place for the lame and the crippled and the sick. Those who were on the fringes of society in need of healing, it was a common place for them to come gather. And it's important to remember that they weren't just on the fringes because of their physical ailment, but because of their physical ailment, they would have been um, on the fringes of society socially and culturally as well. They were not other people. They were not people that other people wanted to be around. Why? Because they were messy. <laughs> they were the poorest of the poor. Now, the reason they would gather around Bethesda is because this pool was believed to have some healing power. There was a legend that from time to time, an angel of the Lord would descend into the pool. And when that happened, the pool would bubble up. There would be a spring in the middle. And if you were the first person to reach the middle of the pool and touch that place, then it was your lucky day. You were the one that could be healed. 
Now, if you can imagine people desperate in the need to be healed, this was going to create a lot of chaos. When we think of messy places with messy people, forget Union Station, forget the Costco parking lot on a Saturday morning, put Bethesda at the top of your list. Now, one of the things I want us to catch about this story is Jesus didn't have to go into this particular gate to get into the city. There were lots of other entry points into the city. He could have gone anywhere he pleased. And in fact, a lot of people avoided going through this gate. And when you think of that scene, if we're really being honest, we can't necessarily blame them. How many of us have been walking down a city street or driving our car to an intersection when a person in need comes up to our window? What do we often do? We stare straight ahead. We maybe pretend we don't see them. Or if we're walking in a neighborhood, we choose a different path. Or maybe, on a more personal note, maybe we see that person that we know is in crisis. We see that person that needs a little extra time, a little extra grace. We see them in the church hallway. We see them at work. We see them in the aisle at the grocery store. And we look at our watch and we say, oh, I don't have time for this today. And so we choose another path. I confess I do this often. I choose another path. I choose to avoid the messy people because it's just easier sometimes not to. And yet, throughout the scriptures, we see our beloved Jesus, he never chooses a different path, not once. Time and time again, he consistently moves towards people who find themselves on the fringe. He touches people no one else will touch. He eats with people no one else will eat with. He listens to people who no one else even takes the time to see. And he heals people that other people have long since written off. Scholar Dale Bruner reminds us about this scene in John chapter 5, that when Jesus arrived at the festival, he did not go to the palace. He did not go to the place of mass appeal in the city. He went to the place, the major place of need. And so perhaps the first challenge we need to receive this morning in order to love people like Jesus does is to move towards the mess. Don't choose a different path. Don't choose to avoid the gate. If we're being really honest, especially where we live in a time and history in which we live, we can spend a lifetime avoiding the gate. We can choose convenience over sacrifice. We can choose comfort over risk. We can travel to beautiful places in the world that never challenge our perspective. We can create pretty little tables in our home where everyone around it looks exactly like us. We can move from our cars to our garage, to our living rooms, to our couches, and never have to cross the street to meet the neighbor that Jesus tells us to love as ourselves. We can spend a lifetime choosing not to even acknowledge people on the fringe, let alone actually engaging them in a way in which we learn our stories. And so challenge number one of loving like Jesus, maybe today, you leave here today and you find one person, 
Some of you already have someone in mind, one person, one place, who is on the fringe and make a decision not to choose a different path, but make a decision to move towards their mess. So into Bethsaida walks Jesus. He walks into the mess. And for whatever reason, among all the people Jesus could have chosen to narrow in on that were at the pool, he chooses to narrow on this one man. This one man whose name we don't even know, whose scripture tells us was unwell for 38 years. And every time I imagine this scene, I just imagine Jesus kind of stooping to the ground because the man was paralyzed. He was lying on a mat. And I imagine Jesus looking into his eyes, and Jesus asked one of the most profound, simple, and thought-provoking questions in all of Scripture. Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? Now, if I'm being really honest, um, this is the point in the story when some questions start to bubble up in me. I have some suspicions. I have some thoughts. I begin to presume some things about this man, about his story, and about Jesus' interaction with him. Let me ask you, have you ever received a text message or an email, and you kind of read it, and immediately you get like a, a flipping in your stomach, or you get really angry because you're reading a tone into that message, and you're not sure it's actually there, but it's a visceral response. And then later, you actually go to the person and you check your assumption about the tone and you find out you were completely wrong. Anyone? I believe we tend to do that with this story. Instead of letting Jesus' question being an honest, sincere, loving question to a man on which he had deep compassion, we insert a tone. <laughs> We put a little sarcasm in there. We say, Jesus saying, come on, do you really want to get well? Do you actually want to be healed? I mean, after 38 years, you couldn't figure out a way to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or find just one person who would help you into the pool, really? And honestly, maybe some of that's true. We don't have a lot of details about the story. Scripture never tells us why the man wasn't well. It doesn't tell us if it was his own doing. It doesn't tell us if someone else had taken advantage of him. We don't know if people had tried to help him and he refused. We don't know if he was just lazy. We don't know if the excuses that he made to Jesus were just that. They were actually excuses. Or maybe... Maybe this man desperately wanted to get well. Desperately wanted to get well and just honestly couldn't find a way out of his circumstances. It reminds us this morning that it's really easy to make assumptions about people whose names we don't know, whose stories we don't understand. And so perhaps our second invitation and our challenge to love like Jesus is to check the assumptions we make about someone else's mess. Check our assumptions. I wonder, actually, if there's a direct correlation between our propensity to avoid the mess and the number of assumptions we make about people on the fringe and why they're not choosing to get well. I heard one preacher recently say in all of Scripture, in all of Scripture, 
Have you ever seen Jesus stand over a sick person and taunt them into their own healing? Maybe we need to check some assumptions about what we are telling ourselves. Maybe our challenge today to love others like Jesus loves is to find one person on the fringe and to ask God to give you the wisdom and the courage and the discernment to set aside your own assumptions and to actually learn their story. Maybe that's the challenge you need to accept today. The third invitation I want to extend to us today to love people on the fringe is to see ourselves as one of them. See ourselves as a person in the mess. Let me ask you this, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you have struggled to be well? Have you ever found yourself weak, paralyzed, completely blind to your own sin, knowing the thing you ought to do to get better and just you can't will yourself, you can't will yourself to get to the water. In our hearts we want to get there but for whatever reason we're stuck. We struggle with certain patterns, certain behaviors, certain relationships in our lives, and they trip us up, and they cause us pain, and they injure other people, and they isolate us from the very community who is trying to help us. <laughs> Has anyone ever been in that place? We're all in the mess. It's called sin. It is the nature of our human condition. I think it's one of the beautiful things about this Lenten journey is it invites us to acknowledge our own brokenness as people who lie by the side of the pool, utterly incapable of healing ourselves. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Perhaps one of the reasons that John includes this story in the Gospels is not so that we can point a finger at someone else and make assumptions about their desire to get well, but maybe so that we too can acknowledge our need of divine healing of a gracious God. Friends, let's check our assumptions and let's view ourselves as one who's also sitting on the side of the pool. The last invitation I want us to consider this morning as we're challenged to love people like Jesus is not to give up hope on those who find themselves in the mess. You know, one of the privileges I have of being in pastoral ministry, and I know my friends and colleagues here would say the same, is the privilege we have of holding people's stories the privilege we have of just having a small glimpse of sitting in the mess with people that God desperately loves. And as I prepared for this message, it's funny how God does this when you're preparing a message and, and reading through scripture. It was just like name after name and face after face of people I know and people I love who are loving people at the side of the pool. People for whom the fringe is not some hypothetical, faceless person whose names they don't know. They are people who live in their homes. They are people for whom they sit at their dinner table. They are people whose last names they share. Maybe that is you this morning. You are struggling to love someone who is laying by the side of the pool. You are not a casual bystander. 
but you are intimately involved. You are watching Jesus time and again. Ask your loved one, do you want to get well? And you pray every day. You pray every day that they would say yes. And then your second prayer is, Jesus, show me how to love them like you do. I asked a few of these dear friends if they'd be willing to share some of their story with me. And if I could share some of their story with you so that for those of you who find yourselves loving someone by the side of the pool, you would know you're not alone. And for those of us who love people who are loving someone who loves someone by the side of the pill, we could learn from their stories. And so listen, listen to what they said. Loving my broken one by the pool has been a journey filled with all kinds of petitions and prayers. First come the prayers full of faith and hope that Jesus will make them well, that they will pick up their mat and walk. And then when that answer doesn't come, if or how or when I think it should, I allow it to remind myself how helpless I really am. The most important thing I can do is actually to surrender the process and that person to God because I am not meant to fix them or be an endless suggestion box of solutions. I am only meant to take one step and to ask God what loving this person looks like today and then trust God to show me the rest. In doing so, I admit to Jesus that I can't do anything on my own to help this one that I love. He alone is their source of healing. He alone can set them free. Loving someone on the side of the pool is also a very lonely journey. Some of you know this. There is a sense in the western suburbs especially that somehow everyone else has it all together, that the perfect family is somehow attainable. But the truth is all of us are a mess in our own ways. And so when people ask me how my loved one is doing, I have learned to be truthful. I have learned to summage the courage to stop answering fine when people ask, and in that, I started to find agency, community, and healing. Gosh, it's so nice to have people to talk to when you know there will be no judgment. I've had to learn not to compare my experience or my loved one's experience with anyone else's. Each story is unique, just as each individual is uniquely loved by God. Falling into comparison only leads to self-pity. Why, Lord? Why me? Why him? Why her? But that kind of thinking sucks my joy by focusing on who my loved one is not rather than who God sees them to be. But I do pray for the desire to want to be well. I pray that when Jesus comes to them at the pool, they will reach out for the help that he is so eager to give and be willing to do whatever he asks. I resist the urge to believe that they do not want to be well or that they ever will be well. And I often pray, Lord, help my unbelief. And then I ask God to give me the strength to move towards them and do whatever he asks so that I can participate in their healing. 
And then I humbly acknowledge the parts of myself that are also in need of Jesus' healing. For I, too, have made many mistakes on this journey. It's the part of do you want to be well question that is mirrored back to me. I have to remember that my loved one and I have a common need for the grace of Jesus, that we're on this journey together. I would say to others to remember that there are no quick fixes or easy answers. So do more than put them on your prayer list at church. Actually sit next to them at the pool. Lean in. Don't look away. Show up. Be present. If you are in a position of power or influence, advocate, risk for the person lying at the side of the pool. And friends, be kind. Just be kind. You never know what the smallest gesture of kindness may do. And most of all, never give up hope. Never give up hope that Jesus can and will heal. It's easy to fall into resignation by letting our faith and hope rest in how our loved one is doing on any particular day instead of in the Jesus we see at the pool of Bethesda. After 38 years by the pool, I am sure resignation probably set in for those that love this man. But I don't believe resignation is loving my broken one well, nor do I believe that is what God wants. So instead, I relinquish my control and I commit my loved ones to Jesus again and again and again. And I ask him to restore my hope, my faith in him, in his presence, in his power, in his provision. And I hold on to God's promises, the real ones, the ones in his word, not just the things that people say to sound good. Because when people say, don't worry, God will heal, whatever circumstance it may be, it just leaves me more empty because I know God never actually promised that. But the promises I could hold on to became my lifelines. And so I cried out to God and I asked, God, you stick to these. <laughs> and God did every single time. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus stands up in the synagogue and reads Isaiah 61 and claims those words to be about myself, I, himself, I have to choose to believe him. For the spirit of the Lord, Jesus says, is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I choose to believe these words because God's word never fails, and his mercies, they endure forever. I'm so grateful for those friends that shared their story with us today. I'm reminded as we close that there is one final image of people being on the fringe that may come to mind for many of us. It's, it's um, that of a lampshade with those little pieces that hang onto the bottom that are kind of tethered and une uneven and tattered. They don't seem to have much of a purpose. I am reminded this morning that the God of the universe, while it may be uh, easier for us to cut those threads off, the God of the universe never cuts his people off from his love. 
Do you know what Bethesda means? It's made up of two words. Baeth means house, and hesed means God's loving kindness. Bethesda, one of the messiest, fringiest places in the Bible, means the house of God's loving kindness. Perhaps it's a reminder for each one of us today that if the God of the universe could humble himself to step off his throne in heaven, to go out of his way, to clearly dwell with people like us who are all on the fringe, that maybe, just maybe, we would be willing to enter someone else's mess this day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the invitation you extend to us to love others who are on the fringe. Lord, for those who find themselves in that spot this morning, I pray that they would be reminded that you see them, you know them, that you are here to enter their mess. And Lord, for the rest of us, give us the courage to move towards that mess in the way that you have showed us in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, and we submit our messy lives to you today. Amen.